Come on. Here. Come on, Gordy. Come on. Come on, horsey. Come on. Come on. Yeah. If a goat, a horse, a pony, and a coon can get along together, shouldn't Christians of differing beliefs love one another? Shall we pray? Dear Lord, make me a nail upon the wall, fastened securely in its place. Then from this thing so common and so small, hang a bright picture of thy face. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. The title of the study of this hour is, Are Sunday-keeping Christians second-class Christians? And are Sabbath-keeping Christians first-class Christians? I'd like to have you notice seven points in this study. Number one, clusters around the word unprofitable. Luke 17, verse 10. Jesus said if we do everything that he commands us, we are to still say we are unprofitable servants. The second point clusters around the word accepted, and the text of scripture is Acts 10:35. Peter at the home of Cornelius said, that people of every nation are accepted of the Lord if they fear him and do righteousness. The third point clusters around the words, no answers. And the text is Isaiah 58, verses 1 to 4. In these verses, we're told that Sabbath keepers have no guarantee of answers to prayer as long as we're sanctimonious, looking down our noses, so to speak, at others. Point four clusters around the words continual guidance, and the text is found in Isaiah 58, 9 and 10. It says that the same group of individuals who have been sanctimonious, who have taken on the attitude that I am holier than thou. When they change, when they repent, they may be guided continually and have marvelous answers to prayer. The fifth point clusters around the words, my people. And the text is Revelation chapter 18, verses 1 to 4. Here we are told, and this is for those who understand the prophecy, that people of various faiths are called by the Lord, quote, my people, unquote. Point six clusters around the words, the body of Christ. The Sabbath-keeping church, in our authoritative statements, declare that the great majority of the followers of Christ 
are not in the Sabbath-keeping church. They are in other churches. That's found in our own work entitled The Great Controversy, pages 383 and 390. The greater part of the body of Christ is in the various churches that keep Sunday. Number seven, this point clusters around the words more and more, and the text of scripture is Proverbs 4:18. It says the path of the just is like a shining light. It shines more and more onto the perfect day. This is saying, in effect, that the Christian can expect a new development of truth. It is not a condemnation of him. It is God's method of commending him, for it is because he's already God's child that he receives more light. And so the individual who may be the vehicle of bringing more light to one Christian should not in any sense consider that he is more of a child of God than the other. One Christian may not understand one certain Bible doctrine as well as another. On the other hand, the individual who brought him that specific doctrine may be weak in another area in which the other Christian is stronger. With these seven great Bible facts before us, I'd like to share with you something that thrills my heart very much. It happened in Eola Park, Orlando, Florida. I was pastor of what is now called the Central Orlando Church of Seventh-day Adventists. Two blocks away was the Eola Park. I often drove past this park, and I noticed that they had a daily meeting. A war veteran, one-legged war veteran, uh, mastered the ceremonies. There was not a large crowd that gathered, perhaps 25 or 30, rarely 50, but they uh, invited men of learning, largely, to be their speakers. Astronomers, medical doctors, doctors of divinity, various professors and educators and so forth. They divided the hour into two parts. The speaker spoke first for half an hour, approximately. Then the people were permitted to ply him with questions. I have been astonished to see some of these learned speakers come in and in great dignity and poise present for the half hour their message. But when the individuals began to ask them questions, I noticed the same individual would sometimes sort of lose his cool as we speak. Uh, in fact, these questioners would become somewhat irritating. And finally, many times, they would heckle the speaker. And I would see him walking out of that park with his head down, one person after another saying, what do you have to say about this? And what about this? And what about this? And I said to myself, I'm so happy that I have never been invited to speak there. There's too much of the wrong spirit. Little did I realize that the day would come when I would be invited 
and they would insist that I come. One Sabbath morning, as I finished my sermon and stepped out at the exit to shake hands with uh, my church members as they were leaving, a stranger stepped up to me. He said, uh, Pastor, they want you to speak at Eola Park next Friday afternoon. I think the hour was three o'clock. You know, friends, all that I had seen in that park came to me, and it didn't appeal to me. And then I was just about ready to say, no, sir. And he said, they have told you the topic they want you to speak on, the Sabbath. I said, oh? He said, they've even told you how to word it. They have? How have they told me to word it? Well, they have told you to word it this way. Why, I am right, and the whole world is wrong. I said, now I know I'm not going to be there, for I don't believe in controversy. You just tell them to count me out, and I brushed him aside quickly. It was only perhaps a week or two before he was back again. At the close of the service, there he was. He said, they really want you to come next Friday afternoon. <laughs> I said, count me out, brother. I'm not interested in any controversy. And he was gone. I don't know how many times that man came to see me. I don't even know who he was. But one Sabbath morning at the close of the service, as he approached me, and I was just ready to brush him aside as, as always, he said, Brother Kuhn, you should be there. Doesn't the Bible say in 1 Peter 3.15 that you should be ready to give a reason of the hope that's within you? I said, you're right, brother. I'll be there. So he conveyed the message to them. Later I learned that five or six ministers, I think all of whom had been retired, circulated the message all over the town, all over the city, that a Sabbath-keeping minister would be there the next Friday at three o'clock. As I thought of the controversy in which they had engaged on various occasions, I gave myself to a great deal of prayer for those several days. And I asked the Lord in particular to help me to represent Jesus. If my arguments didn't seem to be good, there's one thing I would like them to see. I'd like them to see Christ and his love and his kindness in me. Men have not always seen that in me. So I prayed. I have found that we're all human beings and we can become irritated, even as we present the gospel. So I pleaded earnestly with the Lord to, above all things, to reveal the spirit of the Sabbath-keeping Christ, which is a loving personality. No matter what they said, no matter how they heckled, I said, Lord, help me to be kind, help me to be a winsome Christian. Friday afternoon, when my wife and I walked into the park, we expected to see 25 or 30 individuals there. Imagine our surprise when we saw sitting there up to 600 individuals. And as I scanned over that audience, I realized that there were probably not a dozen Sabbath-keeping Christians. They were all Sunday-keeping Christians sitting there awaiting my arrival. I thought, how in the world did they get 600 people? 
when usually there are only 25 or 30 or so. Well, I wasn't uh, too long in learning. In fact, I didn't know until after the meeting was over that these five or six ministers had circulated the news that I would be there this way. They said the Sabbath-keeping pastor is going to speak Friday afternoon, and you're going to see something very interesting. His name is Kuhn. And if you people come, you're going to see us skin the coon. So there are 600 people there curiously waiting to see what would take place. As the master of ceremonies was about to introduce me, one of these retired ministers, a rather tall beanpole type man, retired, stepped over to the master of ceremonies and he said, I would be happy to introduce the speaker. And the master of ceremonies innocently permitted, not knowing that this man would be standing up with the idea of prejudicing the people before I ever said a word. So he stood up before that, that audience of about 600 individuals, and he said, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you in introducing this young man, for I was only about 37 and he must have been 70. He said, I want to tell you that his church has done a wonderful community service throughout our land in their hospital and sanitarium program. He said our city has been blessed by their health program. And then quickly he said, but when it comes to their doctrines, especially the Sabbath, they're all wrong. Now I present to you this young man, Mr. Kuhn. As I had asked the Lord to give me wisdom and most of all, to give me his Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering. I had asked for the Holy Spirit, and so I felt impressed that the first thing I should do was to step over to this tall minister and give him what I call a coon hug. So I placed my arms around him and I said, I want to give you a coon hug. And I smiled, and I thought that might be a little symbol of love. But he didn't seem to accept it exactly that way, but the 600 Sunday-keeping Christians applauded. They liked it. They liked love. I spoke for 40 minutes as I covered the doctrine of the Holy Sabbath the Lord's Day of the New Testament, I could sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. I never spoke more clearly or more logically in 40 minutes in my entire life. I had no notes for the wind was blowing, and I knew I couldn't use them. But at the end of that period of time, we had 20 minutes left of the hour. The master of ceremonies stood and he said, now, ladies and gentlemen, we have 20 minutes left. During this period of time, you may ask questions of the young man. They called me the young man. Uh, any of you who wish may still do that. <laughs> Instantly, this tall beanpole minister sprang to his feet. He put his hand in his pocket. He said, I will give this young man $300 if he will give me one text in the New Testament 
that indicates that the seventh day is the Sabbath. I stepped over to him and gave him another coon hug. And I said, my brother, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. So I wouldn't want you to give me any money. But I will give you the text. So I gave him several texts. Among them, I believe, was the one found in Luke chapter 23, verses 54 to 56, that tells about how Jesus died on the day preceding the Sabbath and how they rested the next day, the Sabbath, according to the commandment. I had no sooner than answered the question when the same minister sprung, sprang to his feet again. He put his hand back in his pocket and he said, I will increase it to $500 if this young man will give me one text of scripture after Pentecost that indicates the seventh day is the Sabbath. As I recall now, I stepped over and gave him one more coon hug. I didn't do it to antagonize him, but to, to make it a symbol of love. And I said, my brother may be happy to know that there wasn't one sentence of the New Testament written for years after Pentecost. So every time you find a statement in the New Testament about the Sabbath, the seventh day, it was written years after Pentecost. And you know what happened? Every time I answered a question, 600 Sunday-keeping Christians applauded a Sabbath-keeping Christian against their own minister who was heckling me. Questions came thick and fast by those five or six ministers for one hour and 30 minutes. And God gave me answers just like popcorn. Now, I want you to notice, friends, these Sunday-keeping people didn't know me at all. But they did know something about Christianity. Bless your heart. They knew that Christianity rep is, to, is to diffuse the love of Jesus Christ to people of any faith. And they believed in fair play, and they believed that their own ministers were taking a sanctimonious attitude toward a Sabbath-keeping minister. And they were revolted at that thought. Now, my friends, lest anyone would think that I, in turn, am sort of belittling this minister or these ministers for acting sanctimoniously, those of you who have heard some of my other studies will recall that I have freely admitted that on more than one occasion, I, as a church member, as a Christian, and even as a minister, have engaged in sanctimony. And I've asked God to forgive me. So I'm no better than this minister was. He yielded to the wrong spirit to which I've yielded many times. But 600 beautiful Sunday-keeping Christians did not go along with him. At the close of that afternoon's service, the master ceremonies stood to his, to his foot, for he only had one foot. And he said, ladies and gentlemen, we invited this young man, man to come down and tell us why he keeps the seventh day. He said, how many of you think that he has done a good job? Will you raise your hands? I think I saw about 593 hands raised. 
by Sunday-keeping Christians. And he thanked me profusely, and the meeting was closed. The moment that meeting closed, a fine Sunday-keeping lady, who was an Episcopalian, stepped briskly over to this tall beanpole minister who led in the heckling of me. And she said, Sir, you weren't even a gentleman, much less a Christian. The way you heckled this young man, you invited him to come and speak. He only responded to your request. You weren't even a gentleman, I tell you, much less a Christian. That lady, by the way, came to our meeting the next day on God's Holy Sabbath because I had, in closing my message that afternoon, I had stated that I had found from the, from the Gospels that Jesus loved to heal people on the Sabbath day. He loved to perform outstanding miracles of mercy. I said, tomorrow morning, I'm going to speak at the 11 o'clock service, and I want to invite any of you who may find yourself in need of some special miracle in your life to come. That Episcopalian lady was there the next day. I closed my sermon that morning with an invitation for anyone who needed some special, miraculous, saving power in his or her life to come forward, and we would pray together. Among the scores that came up was this fine Episcopalian Christian. Later, she met me. She said, Mr. Kuhn, something wonderful happened in your church that Sabbath day. She said, I had a little habit. I picked up the habit of smoking about 10 years ago. I didn't realize that it would hold me like a vice. And I've been trying to quit it for 10 years. And she said, when you extended that invitation Friday for anyone to come Saturday morning, I thought I will come. I came to the altar in response to your request. I asked the Lord to cure me of the tobacco habit. She said, Mr. Kuhn, the Lord cured me completely from the tobacco habit. And then she turned to me and she said, do you think it was because I was in a Seventh-day Adventist church? I said, no, ma'am, it was not. It was because <clears throat> Jesus Christ was there. And Jesus Christ meets us at our own conscious need. He knew your need, and he was there to meet you at that need. Friends, you remember the title of this topic? It is, Are Sunday-Keeping Christians Second-Class Christians? And are Sabbath-Keeping Christians First-Class Christians? Away with the thought. You may have some light that another Christian does not have. It does not mean that he's not a Christian. The Christian that has thought that the first day is the Christian Sabbath, that doesn't make him an ungodly person any more than if I carried a pen that belongs to you and thought it was mine. That wouldn't make me dishonest. You'd walk up to me and say, Brother Kuhn, this is my pen. I'd say, I'm sorry, and I would return it. My returning it did not make me a Christian. I was a Christian all the while. I just overlooked the fact that I had your pen. A Sunday-keeping Christian 
and there are thousands upon thousands of them who sincerely believe that they should keep Sunday in honor of Christ's resurrection. They're God's children. The Bible says they're my people. But he also says that they and we shall have a light that shines more and more unto a perfect day. Proverbs 4.18. We're conducting another series of meetings in Tampa. And one evening I was speaking on the resurrection of Christ. And I was showing from Romans 6, 1 to 4 and other texts that we celebrate his glorious resurrection not by the keeping of a day, according to the Bible, but by baptism and the new life. At the close of the sermon, I invited any who would like to make any commitment as the Holy Spirit impressed them to come to the altar. Scores of Sabbath keepers came to the altar, and I think 40 Sunday-keeping Christians came. And they signed the little card, I want to keep the seventh day. While our Sunday-keeping friends were coming forward, indicating their determination to walk in the, quote, more and more, unquote, light, the Sabbath keepers were coming forward, pleading with the Lord to forgive them for wherein they had been perhaps sanctimonious, wherein they had been irritated, wherein they had taken a holier-than-thou stance. When the meeting closed, among those that stepped up to me for a little conversation was an 84-year-old Methodist lady. She said, Pastor, this is the fifth sermon that I've ever heard preached by a Sabbath-keeping minister. I never knew until tonight that the memorial of Christ's resurrection is not the keeping of a day, but it is baptism in the new life. Would it be all right if I were baptized and united with the Sabbath-keeping church? I said, of course, and the Lord bless you. She said, I would like to get word out to all my dear friends and loved ones so they can be present and witness my baptism. Another lady walked up to see me. She was perhaps half that age. I think she said this was maybe her third sermon that she'd ever heard by a Sabbath-keeping minister. And she likewise said, I've never known before that the memorial of Christ's resurrection was not Sunday-keeping, but baptism in the new life. Might I be baptized and unite with the Sabbath-keeping church? We said, of course. Friends, these people, some of these people had been Christians for decades. They had loved the Lord Jesus. They'd had a beautiful fellowship in him. That is why the text says the path of the just is like a shining light. It shineth more and more unto the perfect day. Friends, as we look to Jesus Christ, may he strip us of every vestige of sanctimony that we may have the sweet fellowship found in him, shall we pray. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you at this hour for the many times you've forgiven me for this sanctimony. And dear Father, as our heads are bowed in prayer, there may be a heart looking to you and saying, Lord, for the first time, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior. I bend low in deep humility before you, claiming your promise of forgiveness and cleansing and salvation. Thank you, dear Lord, for the, these blessed ones, these dear ones, these sincere ones, as they simply receive 
in childlike faith your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, if a goat, a horse, a pony, and a coon can get along together, why cannot Christians of varying beliefs love one another? God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.